It was the beard. Don't worry. How are you guys doing today? You doing all right? Good. Kind of hiding behind a fortress here. All right. So welcome to Oikos. I'm really excited to, to be up here today. And as I, as I learn to, uh, to preach on Sundays, it's, a, it's an incredible privilege and opportunity to be up here. So, so my prayer is that, uh, that today's message is transformational. Um, and that's the series that we're in, is Life Transformation. And uh, so I wanted to start off today uh, just kind of recapping a little bit that if you missed what, uh, what Nelson had preached about last week, is that uh, he preached about the Apostle Peter and the life transformation that happened in him. That if you remember when Jesus called him out, he was a fisherman, Simon Peter, and he called him to come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And by the time that what we see is by the time Jesus had left and resurrected, um, is that Peter has a new name of Petra, which means the rock. And so we can see that the transformation of a lowly fisherman who kind of is hot-tempered has been transformed by Jesus. And, uh, and we now see him as the rock of the church. And so Nelson gave seven great points for what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, living life in a family on mission. And, uh, and I do just want to um, say how thankful I am for my wife, uh, who steps in uh, in my absence and, uh, and can lead worship. And uh, so, Ashley, I'm so thankful for you. I know she's not in here, um, but I do want to just give the band and her just a quick round of applause. Just uh, I know that we're all very, very thankful for them. So, and then if you missed Nelson's message, you can, uh, we have all of our sermons uh, that are archived on uh, theoikos.org if you look under our um, sermon archives and everything. So here we are, week two of our Life Transformation series, and we're doing this all the way through the fourth week in November, uh, and then Advent is starting on um, November 29th. And so today, um, that I, get, I got to choose which biblical character that, that I wanted to share and I've always related a lot with King David, probably for both of his skills and his gifts and his good side, as well as his dark side. And I've always just kind of related. And so we're going to talk about King David, who was called a man after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart, and how our understanding of both what we call covenant and kingdom creates a culture of self that leads to life transformation. That when we as followers of Jesus and part of his family is that when we understand our covenantal relationship with God, which is, uh, we'll get into more of it in a bit, uh, but it's our relationship with him, that we, he has given us our identity as his sons and daughters. And in that, uh, from that flows obedience in how we live, okay? Um, and so our, it's our relationship with the Lord. But also is the kingdom aspect is our responsibility of representing. And so we have both of these, which are the DNA of the Bible, that whenever you read the Bible, every bit of Scripture can either be covenantal language, our relationship with God, or kingdom, which is our, our responsibility of representing Him. And so seeing both God as Father and King. And kind of what I want to focus on today is how when we lack an understanding of kingdom, that that can actually lead and provide us an avenue of dis that leads to disobedience. So how a lack of kingdom living or kingdom mindset can actually lead to disobedience. And so we'll get into that uh, with King David here today. And so I want to dig in. The first bit of scripture that, that I want to read is Acts uh, chapter 13, verse 22. And this is Luke, when he's writing, uh, is referencing uh, what happens in, uh, in 1 Samuel, right around chapter... 10. So it says this, but God removed King Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God had said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And so even in this bit of scripture here, you can see both the covenant and the kingdom language. So the covenant would be that David is a man after God's own heart and that God has chosen David. And then, but the kingdom aspect of that is that David will do everything I want him to do. So we have both relationship and responsibility. 
So here's the first takeaway, and I'm going to repeat this several times. And so this is the thing that if you're taking notes, um, that this is going to be what you want to write down. Great quote. Uh, this is actually from, uh, from Crossroads Church in Ohio. When we don't understand God as king, we miss out on obedience. When we don't understand him as father, we miss out on intimacy. And I added this part. And when we miss out on obedience, we miss out on God's power. Read that again. When we don't understand God as king, we miss out on obedience. When we don't understand God as father, we miss out on intimacy. And so both those are important. Intimacy with God our father, but then also the obedience that we have with him as our king. And the obedience is that when we actually are able to hear the voice of the Lord, because he is always speaking to us, he's always speaking to you, always speaking to me, is that when we live out in obedience and say, all right, God, this is what you want me to do right here, then we get to experience the fullness of God's power because the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that resides and lives within each and every one of you who call Jesus your Savior. And so I want to get a glimpse into David's life right before he became king, all right? And so what's really cool that I had the opportunity to do this week was reading through First and Second Samuel. Um, you can also read through Chronicles and in First and Second Kings uh, to get the story of David. But then what was really cool that I had the opportunity to do looking at a lot of timelines, and not all the timelines are consistent, is um, comparing when David wrote his Psalms, comparing that with what was happening in uh, the Old Testament text of First uh, and Second Samuel and Chronicles. And so um, David's, the first recorded psalm that he wrote was actually Psalm 59. So all the psalms, about 75 were attributed to David. Uh, so not all of them. And, is that, and they're not in like chronological order either. So, so here it goes. Psalm 59, this is, uh, I'm going to read verses 6 through 10 and also 14 through 17. And I want you to see if you can pick out what's covenant and what's kingdom. So here we go. This is David's first psalm right before he became king. He became king at 30 years old. All right, so he's maybe, you know, upper 20s. So he says this. They come out at night, snarling like vicious dogs as they prowl the streets. Listen to the filth that comes from their mouths. Their words cut like swords. After all, who can hear us? They sneer, but Lord, you laugh at them. You scoff at all the hostile nations. You are my strength. I wait for you to rescue me. For you, O God, are my fortress. In his unfailing love, my God will stand with me. He will let me look down in triumph on all my enemies. And it's given to verse 14. My enemies come out at night, snarling like vicious dogs as they prowl the streets. They scavenge for food, but go to sleep unsatisfied. But as for me, I will sing about your power. Each morning, I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. For you have been my refuge, a place of safety when I'm in distress. O oh, my strength, to you I sing praises. For you, O oh God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. So to get a glimpse of where David is at and why he's writing these things about snarling and vicious dogs, etc., is that King Saul had the Holy Spirit removed. And so what's interesting is when you look at the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit isn't in and with us like in the New Testament. Is that oftentimes the Holy Spirit would come upon a certain person for a specific work in a specific period of time. And so when with King Saul, he was, he was Israel's first king. Okay, because God was king before that. And, uh, and so with Saul, God gave him the Holy Spirit, but Saul was all about Saul. And so eventually the Lord removed the Holy Spirit from Saul. And Saul had to go basically the whole second half of his kingship, which was 40 years, without any help of the Holy Spirit. And we know that whenever the Lord calls us to a certain work, if we try and do it on our own power, we're going to fail. And so, but Saul became, after uh, David killed Goliath, um, David was about 15 years old at that time. So already we're here just approaching his kingship at almost 30, is that Saul got incredibly jealous, incredibly jealous of David. And what that had led to was that um, 
that really David was on the run. David was on the run for his life because Saul and his army were trying to kill David for a period of about 10 years. So David, during this time, and we're going to talk about this more in our Advent series when we're talking about the journey living in the now but not yet, uh, that I assume that Pastor Aaron might be talking about how David had to wait about 15 years from the time he was anointed that God said and through the prophet Samuel that you are going to be Israel's next king. And so after that, then uh, the David had to wait 15 years to become king. And all, most of that time, 10 years out of that, was David fleeing from his life from the current king. Because David was a better warrior. He was more highly praised than Saul. And David was anointed to take over the throne. And so you can read about, if you're interested in reading more about David being on the run from Saul, uh, that's all in 1 Samuel chapters 19 through 31. So what we see with David in his psalm, so I hope that gives you a glimpse into David's heart. Into David's heart. And, uh, and hopefully when we read that psalm, that you're able to kind of pick up on the covenantal language as well as the kingdom. And so I want to kind of describe a little bit more about what covenant is and what kingdom is. So here's a beautiful definition of covenant, and, uh, and, and this is hopefully also gives you a glimpse into when Oikos talks about our covenant family. Hopefully this should give just a little bit more context and a little bit more clarity with that. So the Hebrew word for covenant means oneness or unfettered union. It's a union that far supersedes the concept of a friendship or contract. A bond between a stronger and weaker party that permanently combines their identity and resources, generally marked with a scar that reminded them to be faithful and often a new name. So when we think of covenant, we can think of Abraham because it was Abram, and so God gave him a new name when they entered into a covenant. It became Abraham, and we also know that Abraham was marked with a scar of circumcision. So it's an outward sign of the covenant and so, um, when we talk about covenant, we have father at the top, okay? So, it starts, we're talking about God as father and king. So, when we talk about our covenant, our relationship with God is, you can see that the arrows are there because they're there for a very important reason. Because if you go the opposite way, that ends up that we have to earn our identity. But the beautiful thing about our covenant with God is that he has given us, gifted us an identity, that we are God's sons and God's daughters. It is not an identity or title that we need to earn. And so it's a beautiful thing that God gives us our identity as his children. And then from that identity that we know that we are God's sons and daughters, that now we live out in obedience. It doesn't start with obedience. We don't have to earn our identity. All right? And so, um, so that's covenant. That's covenant. And we can see that in David. Uh, in, typically in, in verses 14 through 17, that he says, I sing with joy about your unfailing love, God. You are a place of safety. For you, O God, are my refuge, the God who shows me unfailing love. Very fatherly language. And then in verses 6 through 10 before that, it says, You are my strength. You are my fortress. In, uh, in you, I triumph on all my enemies. So here's the definition of kingdom or representation. It's the area in which the king reigns, beginning spiritually, then manifesting physically, expressed through those who hold a covenant relationship with God and share his vision for his will being done on earth. A call to co-owning the responsibility of bringing heaven to earth, representing the Father's character and expanding his territory in a broken world. We have both covenant and kingdom. And if we want to be a people of God that have a strong relationship with him, that are madly in love with God, recognizing that he has given us an identity, that from that identity flows the obedience. And when we obey is that we get to experience the power of God at work. Because what's really cool is you can lay over the kingdom triangle over the covenant. And so because of our identity, it directly correlates with the authority. So because you are God's sons and daughters, you automatically have the authority to do everything that God wants you to do. Everything that God wants you to do. You have the authority. With the obedience, 
is that when we obey, when we hear, God, this, I believe this is what you are saying to me, and this is what you want me to do about it, when we step out in obedience, because we're not just talking about not breaking the Ten Commandments. Christianity is not about just a set of rules and regulations that we are living in the freedom of God, when, knowing that He is always speaking to us, and He's always saying, Jason, I want you to go here and to do this, because when you do this, my kingdom will be extended, disciples will be made, lives will be transformed, and it is in that obedience that we get to experience the power that we see there in the kingdom triangle. David was a man after God's own heart. He understood both covenant and both kingdom. And David lived a life in obedience, and he will do everything God wants him to do. A man after God's own heart, and he will do everything that God wants him to do. But remember, when we don't understand God is king, we miss out on obedience. When we don't understand God as Father, we miss out on the intimate relationship. And when we don't live life out in obedience, we don't get to experience the power. I think we've largely become an impotent church. An impotent church that isn't living in the power of God and in the power of the gospel. We have neglected our role as sons and daughters of the King within God's kingdom. That God reigns. And that he's a king, and that all of heaven and earth is his, whether we believe it or not. And he has invited us to take part in his mission of extending his kingdom. And when we uh, talk about representing, what exactly are we representing? We're representing who the Father is. That we heard, in, in, as we've been in the book of Acts for nearly two years, is that we know that we are not to live like that. We are not to live like the world is. We live differently. And one of the ways that we live differently is that we know wherever we go, we represent who the Father is. We do the things that the Father did. And we can look at Jesus. And this is actually a, a profound kairos that I had. A kairos moment is that opportune moment in time where God's kingdom breaks through. Is that, you know, in Philippians chapter 1 where... Uh, um, Paul writes about how Jesus humbled himself as a servant, laying aside the powers of the Godhead. I always thought, well, how is Jesus doing all these miracles if he laid aside all of his power? How is he doing all this? It was because he lived in complete intimacy with his Father and lived out in complete obedience. Jesus had an intimate relationship with his Father and he lived out in obedience. So if we're supposed to imitate the ways, the works, and words of Jesus, maybe we too can raise the dead. Maybe we too can heal the sick. In fact, I'm not going to say maybe. If God wants you to, you will. That's the kind of power that we have as the church. And so I kind of wanted to ask, is typically us as people can, can fall into a current, like a, a natural rhythm that maybe some of us are more covenant with, or uh, comfortable with covenant relationship. Maybe we like just having that intimacy with the Father, but anything that has to do with power and healing the sick and raising the dead and making the blind see, that's not for us. That's, uh, that's something that Jesus did and, and just to kind of show us his power so we can believe in him, but it doesn't affect the church. Or maybe... You kind of, you love the kingdom, and you're all about doing work. You're all about um, praying with people outside, but yet you yourself don't have an intimate relationship. It might be more about the things you do. And so here's some signs that you might be struggling with knowing God as your father. Discomfort with calling him daddy. Seeing if the, see if, uh, if these really kind of hit your, hit your soul at all. Do you resist intimacy with God? Do you struggle to rest do you struggle to abide? Do you struggle to spend time in the scripture and prayer? Do you desire more approval from God or for others? Do you lack elements of your relationship with God that deal with emotions? Forgetting to run to God is the first source of healing and comfort. Dismissing the idea that he cares about each part of your day and wants to be intimately involved in your life. Not believing he loves you like crazy, made you on purpose, and wants to bless your life. Maybe memories of your parents disciplining you more frequently than they actually sat with you and got to know you. So if any of those you kind of relate with, those are some signs that you might struggle with the covenant side. Struggling with knowing God as a good father. 
So here's the next side. Some signs you might struggle with knowing God is king. You maybe prefer the New Testament over the Old Testament. Oh, the Old Testament stuff. That's, that doesn't apply anymore. We have a different God now. Negotiating with God when he speaks to you about a sensitive topic. Keeping some parts of your life off limits to God's opinion. Resisting or ignoring difficult passages of Scripture that don't seem very gracious. Struggling to obey. Resisting the idea that he has total authority over your life and that everything you have is his. Do you have feelings of entitlement or control? Do you resist your earthly authorities? And maybe your parents operated more frequently with you as your friend rather than your authority who expected you to listen and obey. I got a really cool story. I'm going to try and keep this fairly brief. Um, But there's a number of us here at Oikos that are being invested in by uh, high-capacity leaders with 3D movements. Okay, they're the ones who have helped really bring the life and give us a language and a framework for our discipling process. And so Aaron and I are in what we call a huddle. So it's an intense um, discipleship group where it's high challenge and high invitation. And uh, so Aaron and I are being pressed by a guy named Eric Pfeiffer. And Eric shared a story because right now he's leading us into a little bit more of of the kingdom understanding right now of when heaven meets earth and pressing into miracles and being used by God to to heal people and all this kind of stuff. So get ready, by the way. Some of you have already experienced this. I think I've probably prayed for healing for about three of you in the last week or so. And uh, and I'm still waiting for that to happen. So here, Eric shared a story. So he, they have their missional community, all right, and they're gathering at his home and the worship leading, uh, leading worship, and it was um, an intense moment where it was divine encounter, and so if you can just imagine, you know, people worshiping, um, and I kind of have this picture of my living room and all this, just people sitting and praising Jesus and singing out songs to God, and he said there in the front row was this girl that, that they knew and had been working with for a while, that she had, she was on fire for Jesus, she was growing rapidly in her faith, but all of a sudden, in the middle of worship, she started to kind of hunch over. She started to curl her fists. And believe it or not, she started to hiss. And she started to screech. And there she was, just kind of curled up in the front row. And all of a sudden, Eric, even though he's the one leading us in this, he started to freak out a little bit. But for us as disciples of Jesus, we're always keeping one eye and ear on the Lord and one eye and ear out on the people that we are with. One ear and eye on the Lord and one ear and eye on the people. And so he there knew that, all right, God, what are you doing? What do you want me to do about this? And uh, so he kind of sensed that there definitely was an evil spirit. He kind of, at least, uh, he sent the children out, go out and play. And then um, all of a sudden, God started to reveal to him Mark chapter 1. And in that is when Jesus cast out a demon uh, in the synagogue. And so here they were in a time of worship and prayer in a synagogue, if you will. And this is what Jesus said. Be quiet. And so Eric... Uh, living out in obedience. So once again, we have obedience, and we know that when we obey, that we're going to see God's power crash through. So as this girl, she started, it started to get worse, and she was probably about mid-20s. And, uh, and so, I don't know if I should or not, but Ashley's in her mid-upper 20s, so I don't know if I should be picturing Ashley kind of possessed by a demon right now, but, but um, is that she started to kind of curl up and she started to fall over, and, believe, and she started to foam at the mouth and all this kind of stuff. And so Eric said, be quiet. And the spirit was quiet. And then they continued to pray over her and pray over her. And all of a sudden, this is what Eric said, is he said that there was like this vapor that left. Believe it or not, um, this is the kind of stuff that when you live out in expectancy, that when we no longer want to be an impotent church body that isn't living in the power of the Holy Spirit, don't expect to see that stuff. But when you are going to embrace that, that we are called to extend the kingdom, is that we need to be prepared for that stuff. And, uh, and I trust Eric enough that, that I believe this happened. And so all of a sudden, this girl, after the Spirit left, she just kind of lied limp, and all of a sudden, it was like this beautiful girl that had been tormented for so long, all of a sudden was set free covenant and kingdom. 
We have an intimate relationship with the Father where we can hear His voice. And then when we come in contact with the powers of darkness, because if we don't think that Satan is out working, trying to snatch you away, trying to bring about destruction and lies in our world, you're mistaken. And God has chosen you to represent Him in those moments. That us in this room, that when we are living out in obedience, that we should expect that that power is going to happen. Even casting out demons, even raising the dead. So I want to actually kind of pull us into our Lutheran context. Some of you in here have been lifelong Lutherans. Some of you may not even know what a Lutheran is. And I think, quite frankly, either one's okay. But I think us as Lutherans can fit into one of these two. That either we love our covenant, we love our relationship with God, it's all about Jesus, it's, it's all about what Jesus did for us. And there's no responsibility. Because if we think that we have a responsibility to do the things of Jesus... That is works righteousness. The other side is that maybe you're more in the kingdom realm. All the stuff we've just talked about. But what I want to bring around is this. I think that either way, we've had a misunderstanding of what it is. That regardless of which camp you might be more comfortable in, we've had a misunderstanding. The covenant side is what I just talked about, is that Jesus has chosen us before the beginning of the world to save and to redeem us, and that we just need to sit back in God's grace and say, thank you, Jesus, for what I've done, and any bit of responsibility is works righteousness. That's that side of covenant that there's a misunderstanding. But here's the kingdom side, too, is that it is not about an intimate relationship with God. God is not your friend. He is your Lord. And when you are in the presence of your Lord, you dress nice for church, you go to church every Sunday, that it's not about having a divine encounter with Jesus in worship. It's not about singing these love songs to Jesus because He's your Lord. And so we know He's our Lord, and so we are going to focus on all the head knowledge that just continues to remind us that, that He's Lord, He has authority, and we are poor and miserable sinners who have nothing to offer. I think both in our Lutheran heritage and history, you can find both. And I think you can have probably a bit of both in that together. And so what I think is that this results in not just a lack of casting out demons and raising the dead, but we have no idea who we even are. We have no idea of who we even are because when you know who you are, you know what to do. We need to know who we are because if you are sitting here and you don't know who you are, you're going to have no idea why to read your Bible, why to abide in the Lord, why we're even talking about casting out demons, why we're talking about obeying. That's why we always go back to that covenantal relationship that I mentioned earlier that when we're in a covenant relationship, one of the parties is stronger. And we have that in the Lord. That even when we break our covenant, which we break every single day, is that God does not break his covenant with you. We might stray. We might step further and further away. But God never breaks his covenant with you because you are his dearly beloved sons and daughters. You don't have to earn that relationship. He loves you. He created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. And here's the problem. If we don't live as God is king, which leads to obedience, then where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? Let's, let's go back to David. So David became king of Judah at 30. And then seven years later, at 37 years old, he became king of all of Israel. And that's when he moved and, and kind of reclaimed Jerusalem. And so David, he was a great warrior. Remember, he, he slung that stone and, and killed Goliath. When he was fleeing from King Saul, he had an army of 600 men, and they were conquering people left and right. And the Lord was always with him, 
And David was always on the battlefield because he knew that this is what the Lord has called and asked him to do. He knew what his responsibility was. And so here's a glimpse into that from 2 Samuel chapter 10, verses 17 and 19. When David heard what was happening, he mobilized all of Israel, crossed the Jordan River, and led the army to Halam. The Arameans positioned themselves in battle formation and fought against David, but again the Arameans fled from the Israelites. This time David's forces killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers, including Shobach, the commander of their army. When all the kings allied with Hadadezer that saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they surrendered to Israel and became their subjects. After that, the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites. Wow, a lot of victory in that. God was with David. Holy Spirit was with David. David was doing what he was called to do, and they had so much success. David was being prepared to be king. But it wasn't until David forgot his responsibility to represent God that things went south. It wasn't until he forgot his responsibility to represent God that things went south. And remember, at the beginning of this, what I want to focus on is when we lack our kingdom mindset, when we neglect our responsibility of representing God and living out in obedience... It leads us to disobedience. So, skipping to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 through 5. In the spring of the year, when the kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. I'm going to stop there real quick. What's the difference here this spring? Is David leading his troops in battle? Where's he at? He's at home. He's sitting at home, sitting in his palace, sleeping in, sleeping in late. It's kind of been a, a joke between a few of us recently that idle hands are the devil's workshop. And uh, I think that's the case here for David. So in the spring of the year, when the kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab. He didn't go. But they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem late one afternoon after his midday rest. I mean, doesn't this, I mean, come on, you can just picture David at the palace in Jerusalem. He's, he says, you know what, I'm not going to go this year. I want to, I'm just tired. I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to take a midday nap. I like naps. So I, I guess I'm not hating on him for that. Um, but uh, I guess the king's got to do what the king's got to do. But late one afternoon, after his midday rest, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Oops. This one time where David neglected obedience, neglected, neglected to live out his responsibility of being king and leading his troops, he ended up falling into temptation. And then we know kind of the rest of the story that after this, David, he tried to kind of scramble some things together and tried to get Uriah to come home off the battlefield to sleep with his wife Bathsheba to try and convince um, you know, Uriah that it was his child, etc. But that didn't work, and so David killed him. How on earth, how on earth does David go from this young 15-year-old boy who's able to say, Goliath, how dare you call against these insults to the people of God. To take such a leap of faith and to go out there as a 15-year-old boy with no armor to take a rock and sling it at his forehead. And then we even, we read through the psalm about how David was just in love with the Lord. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress. The Lord is my refuge. In you I will, I will have triumph over my enemies. And now here we are. 
David stays home in the palace and commits adultery. And what's interesting as well, and this is just a little bit of an inference, is that when you look at the timeline of the recorded psalms, there seems to be at least a five-year gap before this Bathsheba incident that David wrote any psalms. And so I kind of found that interesting, just, just as a songwriter and um, all that kind of stuff, that this is one of the ways that the Lord has kind of recently revealed to me that, that he wants to teach me how to abide, is writing song lyrics. And so maybe it's safe to assume that, that David not just neglected God as king, but also at, as his father for just a handful of years, enough for him to be separated, to forget his identity, to forget that God was a good father, to forget that God wants to have an intimate relationship with him and that God wants to have all of his power displayed through David and his leadership. We know that all good fathers discipline their children. We're also told in Proverbs that, that for us is that we are to welcome and embrace the discipline the Lord gives us. Because we know that all of us who are parents in here, we discipline our kids because we know what's best is that we discipline them, not in a form of punishment for how dare you, blah, 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 but to raise them up, to be good imitators of Jesus, to be a good, good citizens, good and loving parents one day, good friends, good students. And so God sent Nathan to rebuke David, and of course, really that's kind of all David needed. He needed to hear from the Lord again through the prophet Nathan, so that he could be called back into repentance and be reminded of who God is. And so David repents, and he writes a beautiful psalm. And I encourage you guys to read Psalm 51. It's the psalm that David wrote right after this incident. And it, it's, we kind of know most of it. It's like, have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner. And so David has a change of heart. He recognizes what the Lord is saying through Nathan, and he moves forward. And so during this time, David was fasting, and, but there needed, there needed to be some discipline. And, and oftentimes, here's a great quote by Oswald Chambers. If God allows you to be stripped of the exterior portions of your life, he means for you to cultivate the interior if God allows you to be stripped of the exterior portions of your life, he means for you to cultivate the interior. God took David and Bathsheba's son. He died at around seven years of age. But then shortly after that, um, Solomon was born. And we know that Solomon was, was King Solomon, who wrote most of the Proverbs, and, and who wrote Song of Solomon, and who was the wisest person to ever have lived. That even that we have this unfortunate incident that God takes away David and Bathsheba's firstborn, but then blesses them with King Solomon. So God, once again, just he always, he's a good father, and he will always bring us into something good. And so here's a question. Has the Lord ever taken something from you? Has the Lord ever taken something from you? And if you've had things taken from you, but you've never asked, Lord, are you, what are you saying to me in this? Spend some time thinking, Lord, what are you saying to me through this? What do you want me to do about it? So if the Lord has ever taken something from you, how did you respond? Did you respond with repentance like David or with rebellion? I think probably all of us have, there's been opportunities in our life where we've responded probably with, with either one. But with repentance or rebellion. Um, I've been in Houston now for going on a decade. I came in 2007. I was uh, originally uh, the director of youth ministries and, uh, and the worship leader uh, over at Trinity downtown, and that's where I got to meet most of you guys for the first time. That was in 2007, and, and uh, so I was, I was a young, young church worker. Um, just my, my character was, was low, um, I had pretty high competency, I guess you could say, so we think of character and competency. I had low character, but yet high competency. I could play the guitar, I could sing, um, and uh, I think I did all right in youth ministry. I think I was just okay. Um, but um, is that when we have, and this is, I think, in any context of life, whether it's work 
um, what, regardless of the vocation, whether it's construction or whether it's in a business office, oil and gas, ministry, etc., is that when you have someone who has low character but yet high competency, I think there's unlimited, unlimited potential for a lot of hurt and a lot of harm. And I got to experience that a little bit. Um, and it's a, when you talk about God's kingdom breaking through and God speaking to you, I hope this is okay to share um, with uh, the Vanderwater's oldest daughter, Rachel. Um, and uh, I didn't ask her permission, but it, it, this story falls kind of more on me than Rachel. But there came a time where, uh, where I got uh, my ex-wife filed for divorce in 2009, and I kind of, I already had kind of low character. I always thought I was a man after God's own heart, but boy, I, I wasn't where I needed to be. And so I kind of had like a year of just like moral failure, right? And a lot of you guys, I'm so thankful for a lot of you in this room who walked alongside me, held me accountable, etc. Um, and what that led to was that I needed to resign. I resigned my call to Trinity downtown, and I lost my job. And so within this context is that the Lord took my job from me. I knew I needed to resign earlier. Um, but when I, because what was happening was that I was really idolizing my position. I was a director of youth ministries at this church right downtown at the corner of Houston Avenue in Washington. Big church, a lot of cool kids. I was uh, serving alongside the Lytles and, and you guys. That We had 931. It was, it was rocking and it was good. Had some good musicians and seeing numbers grow and increase. Um, and I idolized that. So the Lord stripped it away because it was really getting in the way of cultivating the interior life of Jason. And so bringing this back to, to Rachel is that after I resigned, we had a phone call, and, and Rachel was one of, the, one of the kids, I don't know how old she was at the time, um, teenager, and is that she gave me a phone call after I resigned. A lot of the kids couldn't really understand it, and she said, Jason, um, I just want to let you know I, I'm going to let you off the hook for being my mentor. Um, and she's like, I no longer desire to have this relationship with you talking about like, ah, you know, and so the Lord, he's taken away my job, and in this moment, I thought that he had taken away uh, a student that, that I cared about, and so, um, but I tell you what, I tell you what, that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me, it was the best thing, because after I resigned, there was freedom in this transparency that I could, I had confessed all my sins, so often like Nathan came um, to David, you know, I had Ken Rogers, and I had Aaron, and I had several of you guys that knew my story, that knew the crap that I was doing, and so there I was that summer of 2010, 2010, I owned a home, I was a single dad, um, I didn't have a job, didn't have a job, I had a mortgage to pay, gas to food, all this kind of stuff, and in that summer, the interior life of Jason began to be cultivated. There's one time where I had about $30 in the bank. Um, and, and I tell you, I, I showed up one Sunday at Trinity because the other part of the story is I didn't leave Trinity. Uh, I kept worshiping there. I didn't go run off and get a high-paying worship leader gig, which um, could have done, um, but I knew I wasn't running from sin, just like David. I wasn't running. I was embracing this because I remembered who my father was and who he's called me to be. And that summer, I started, I wrote like a $20 check to 931. Because I'm like, God, what do I have left to lose? And it, it was in those moments that, that when God took away my role and responsibility at Trinity, that idol began to go away. And then I learned how to live out in faith and what life looks like when we have an intimate relationship with the Father who we know is good and we don't need to look elsewhere. We know that He is in control. We have nothing to prove and nothing to fear. And that was an incredible, monumental summer for me. It was also, I was in a huddle, and I was being discipled by Aaron. And boy, I cussed out Aaron at least on one occasion, maybe two. He'll probably tell you five. Now, I've put Aaron through the ringer, and I tell you, he is my spiritual father. And I love that guy. And when we talk about discipleship here, is that we mean it, and life is good. When we press into the ways, the works, and words of Jesus and know who we are. 
that oftentimes God allows us to be stripped of the exterior of our lives so that we can cultivate the interior. David returned back to the Lord. I returned back to the Lord. And incredible things happen. And so when we talk about a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart, it is not about living in perfection and not sinning and all this kind of stuff that we, where we feel we have to walk on eggshells about God, but it's about having a father who loves us so much that no matter how much we fail, he's right there with us. He's in the mud with us, and he never leaves us. He never breaks his covenant with us, even though we stray away from him. And David's moral of the story was that David was able to represent the king in amazing ways when he had that intimate relationship with the Father and when he lived out in obedience to the Lord. And we know that from the lineage of David and Bathsheba came the Savior of the world. God is all about redemption. God is all about making wrong things right in the name of Jesus. It is about our posture being a woman or a man after God's own heart is not about perfection, making all the right or wrong choices. It's about our posture. Are we listening to the Lord? Are we firm in our identity, knowing that we have received freely this identity, which then from that identity flows out obedience where we get to experience all the power of the Holy Spirit, the same that rose Jesus from the dead. It's about our posture. We're at the same time saint and at the same time sinners. And so we can take comfort in that. That because you sin, don't let, that, don't let Satan get in and lie to you that you no longer are a son of God, that you're no longer a daughter of the king. But God is always there, and we always have opportunities to return to the Father like the prodigal son. When we don't understand God as king, we miss out on obedience. When we don't understand God as father, we miss out on intimacy. And when we don't live out in obedience, we miss out on power. Covenant, that is some good news. A bond between a stronger and a weaker party that permanently combines their identity and resources. The covenant family of Oikos. It's an invitation into a community that is united. The covenant family of Oikos is a community of people who take responsibility for one another who are transparent with one another, who hold each other accountable to make sure that we don't forget who we are and to encourage each other into a life of boldness and courage in the ways, the works, and words of Jesus so that we can no longer be an impotent church without power, but that God's power can be shown in you and through you, through your story, through your own transformation and being used like art. We saw in the story with Adrian that I love that guy and his his attitude here on stage is amazing. He said, Jason, it is a privilege for me to be here, and I'm so glad that God brought me here through Art. Art obeyed the Lord. Art invited his friend and bandmate to come here to this community, and it is a privilege to call him a brother and you a brother. This is the kind of church that we are, and so I invite you that if you want to be a part of that, join our covenant family. It's a beautiful life where we, get to, where we get to be a spiritual family on mission and that we get to do incredible, cool things in the name of Jesus and see lives transformed. So by grace through faith in Jesus, through the waters of baptism, you are sealed in a covenant with one who is stronger than us, one who is a good father, a good king, who cares about you to call us back to him when we forget who we are and he transforms lives. So may God, our Father and King, continue his good work in you in Christ Jesus until he returns as we embrace both covenant and embrace kingdom. May we all experience the limitless power of God as his beloved sons and daughters when we live out in obedience. And may we all, may we all be God's sons and daughters, women and men after his own heart. I want to close today that we opened with David's first psalm. And so I wanted to bring us back to his very last. King David was 70 years old when he died. And so uh, we're going to read just uh, verses 34 through 40. 
And I just kind of hope that this kind of just sums it up because I just kind of see that, that David started off as a young man eager to serve the Lord, eager to be courage and to have courage and boldness in his life. And then we see this one mishap, this one mishap when he was about 46 years old with Bathsheba. And after he repented, now 25, 30 years later, um, this is the last thing David wrote. Put your hope in the Lord. Travel steadily along his path. He will honor you by giving you the land. You will see the wicked destroyed. I have seen wicked and ruthless people flourishing like a tree in its native soil. But when I looked again, they were gone. Though I searched for them, I could not find them. Look at those who are honest and good. For a wonderful future awaits those who, live, who love peace. But the rebellious will be destroyed. They have no future. The Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. The Lord helps them, rescuing them from the wicked. He saves them, and they find shelter in him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we know you are good. We know you love us. We know you created us. And you long for us to have that intimate relationship with you. We thank you for simply giving us a new identity, calling us out of the darkness into your wonderful light. It's not an identity that we need to earn, but it's simply given when we have faith in your son Jesus and sealed through the waters of baptism. Lord, I pray for us as a family on mission together that we are able to move forward in obedience that we are able to clearly hear what you are saying because we're so intimate with you and we love abiding with you. We love being embraced. We embrace being pruned by you to, to bring us closer to you. Lord, may we continue to seek after you. May we continue to spend time with you. May we continue to fall in love with you. We thank you for being such a good dad. We trust in you. We trust in your provision. We know that you protect us. And so I pray for this group of people gathered here today that we would not forget these words, that we would not forget who we are. Because when we know who we are, we know what to do. And for us, Lord, that we are your sons and daughters. And when we obey you, is that we get to see all the power and authority of the kingdom of God come crashing here on earth for God to transform lives, to see people called out of the darkness into his wonderful light, to see people saved and brought into the family of God where we get to live a life with people with unconditional love who care enough about one another to walk alongside, to never give up. So God, bless this community. Bless this oikos. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.